Hello everyone and welcome to the Artistic Futures podcast. My name is Marie and in this series I will be meeting a range of people who work in opera and are keen to share their passion with the next generation. From singers to conductors, directors to composers, you will get an insight into how a range of artists built on their careers, turning what they enjoyed doing and were good at into a profession. It will also be full of useful tips and advice for those of you who would be tempted to give it a go. So, let's get started. In this episode, I spoke to Gary Walker, Opera North Musical Director. Born in Scotland, Gary trained as a cellist and conductor at the Royal Northern College of Music. He has worked with orchestras across the globe and has previously been permanent guest conductor of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, principal conductor of the Paragon Ensemble, artistic director of conducting at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland and chief conductor of the Staatsorchester Rheinische Philharmonie in Koblenz, Germany. You have a good day. Yes, it was good. We did the, the Minute Master pieces all very quickly, and, and um, the atmosphere was nice, and everybody's relaxed. We've got enough course. time, and, and we're all going in the right direction together. It's, you know. Well, thank you so much for being here with me. No for problem. The Artistic Fusions podcast. Uh, it's great to finally meet you. The thing I'm really curious about is to try to understand why what the role of a musical director in an opera company is, but maybe. I would like to start from the beginning and, and ask you where your passion for classical music comes from yeah. uh, and conducting. Well, the two are quite separate. Yeah. Music has always, it's just always been there because my mother was a piano teacher and my father was also interested in music. So it was just always on in the house. And curiously, my parents actually didn't listen to much pop music. So the only music that was on was classical music. Therefore, that's kind of all I, all I knew. There's actually a wonderful tape, um, I was trying to find someone, an old cassette of my mother playing some songs from Schumann's Dichterliebe. Yeah. Um, and I sing along. How lovely. With them, which is really, How old were you then? Uh, probably only about two or three. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think I always was fascinated by sound. It was always a struggle to practice the cello. I was a cellist and a pianist and I had you know, when you're small, you want to go out and play football, and that's perfectly fine. So I, I never, you know, I, I, it was never easy for me to become a cellist. Uh, it wasn't a case that I always wanted to play the cello. So, so how did you pick up the instrument? Or was it something... Well, my mother initially tried to teach me piano, and that was a mistake. <laughs> um, not because my mother <clears throat> isn't a wonderful piano teacher, but because I am her son. So that didn't really work. And I remember her suggesting, on the beach of all places... Maybe you'd like to take up the cello. I said, well, I probably had no idea what it was. So I thought, yes, OK, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it was obviously enough of an enthusiasm for, for that. But I remember in primary three, we were asked to read books or whatever for a quiet time. And um, I may well have been reading a book, I don't know. But I, but I was definitely listening to music in my head. Mm-hmm. And I think it was at that point that I realised that I could actually recreate the music that I had heard the night before or a week before in my head and actually I don't have a phenomenal musical 
short-term memory. It's curious. I have a slight problem uh, <laughs> with short-term memory. Yeah. In that, if I were to learn a poem, the specifics, the absolute, I have to say the poem perfectly again, having read it a few times, I can't do it. Just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Some people can literally read yeah. things and just reproduce it. I can't do that. It's exactly yeah. the same with music, actually. You play a melody. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I can do it better now because I now think of the, the notes. I've got perfect pitch. So I, I think of the notes as pitches, as letters, and then I remember the letters better. It's curious. Yeah, it's yeah. really silly. But um, a melody that I learn over time, I never forget. So that ability to sort of play with melody in your head, I found to be really quite, uh, quite exciting. You know? mm-hmm. So I learned, learned the cello and... As I say, you know, I had a very normal upbringing. I played lots of sports and um, was interested in all sorts of other things and my parents were hugely encouraging. The whole. There was never any pressure. And, and the curious thing is that probably when I was younger, I was m- more keen to be a musician than I was actually when I was a student. Right. I had a kind of... Um, a cr- a crisis is maybe too strong a word, but I had a... A point in my student time, I was doing a, went to Manchester University and the Royal Northern College of Music, and I did an academic music degree and a practical degree at the same time. Yeah. So it was quite hard work. I'm now skip forward to 1718. I still have no ambitions to be a conductor. <laughs> um, but I, I, cha- I thought, what is it? What is the purpose of music in society? And somehow, with the rather dry academic stuff I was doing, and with some of the attitudes I was experiencing in the musical community or uh, within the student community, I wasn't really quite sure what the relevance of classical music was to society. Mm-hmm. In some ways it felt a rather sort of ivory-towered backwater, which a lot of people, a lot of my friends, my non-musical friends, had no interest in whatsoever. Yeah, it's probably still perceived like that today, I would think. But that, on... The basis of my decision coming out of that crisis, it has changed the way I live my life. Because at that point, I thought, I'm not sure this is really for me, music. Because I have come from a family of people who have always had vocational roles within society. So whether that's teachers, doctors, dentists, the village chemist, all these sort of things, you know, and often based in quite small communities. I think that was the thing with Manchester. I thought it was in this huge city, yeah. and you know you kind of feel completely lost there. So I thought, well, maybe maybe I, what I'll maybe do is when I'll finish my degree, and then I'll maybe go and do law or something. I thought I'll become, become a lawyer, and if I wanted to be a lawyer, I wanted to be a criminal lawyer, um, a, a barrister, or an advocate, as we call them in Scotland, which is probably based entirely on the fact I quite enjoy Perry Mason and things like this on television. <laughs> I mean, it's all probably a nonsense. But you can do these law conversion courses um, after after doing a degree. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <clears throat> so I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, then I'd better get used to standing up in front of people and advocating a cause and a case and sort of see, yeah. presenting, you know, just feeling comfortable standing yeah, up yeah. in front of people. There is an element of theatre to it and an element of somebody being comfortable in front of other people. Yeah. So I thought, well, what's the, how's the best way to do that? Because playing a cello actually in front of a lot of people is not the same as speaking and, and being yourself. The University Chamber Orchestra every year had a new conductor and I auditioned for it and I got it. And I thought, well, that's the best training for that. 
the problem was I actually really started to quite enjoy the conducting. <laughs> that I, I found it a different challenge and I found it intellectually to be a little more satisfying for me. And I like the interaction with, 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 with people and also suddenly you're opening out a world of very great music. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a little bit by chance, actually, that you... You, you really, really kind of stumbled into it. And yeah, I mean, the, the thing was then the, pro- the progress was so quick with that. It kind of really yeah. snowballed very quickly yeah. because I, I, I think in that year that I was at university, the third year was my family at university, I did um, the, the chamber orchestra. And then I went along for some, some of these conducting master classes at the RNCM. And then I did a postgraduate year at the, the Northern on the Cello, but they very much based it on trying to give me as much conducting experience as possible. And then I went for the fellowship and I got that. So there was another two years in Manchester. So it's no been a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, well, I had no real intention of staying yeah. in Manchester so long, but they always <clears throat> came up with the right course for me. And then, of course, I graduated from the course in June. Uh, 1999 and then the Leeds conducting yeah, I was competition gonna, I was which ask you about we that. ran the yeah. Opera North ran that was in the beginning of July and I won it yeah <laughs> um, how was that experience do, do you I mean would you advise young people to take part in competitions and it's a very difficult one after yeah. I mean I mean it, you know it was an experience that changed my life but I think the thing I found difficult about it was it didn't really feel that it was a huge amount about the music. Mm-mm. It's an examination, effectively. It's not a yes. music-making experience. Yeah. I think undoubtedly, though, they do, you know, you do find outstanding talent from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could say maybe there aren't some necessary evil, but but I would say, I've always said this about the competition, was it open doors, but you had to... You had to really walk through the door. You could walk through the door and then be asked to leave. Yeah. Uh, so it was a starting point. And I think, I think I was realistic enough not to think that it was ever an end. The frustration for me, as well as the joy of what I do, is that you never stop learning. I say frustration because um, there are some tasks in life where you can come to the end of the task and you've completed the task. You know, like a wordle puzzle, for example. Once it's done, it's done. But with music, it's a learning score. It's never done. You know, I'm just doing Marlowe Five, big symphony next week. First time in quite some time. But I've had a relationship that with that piece now for 35, 36 years. You know, and not conducting it, but knowing it. Knowing it, and you still um, discover new things. Well, what I feel this time is curiously, it's taken much longer to learn than the last time. But I hear it so much better in my head. It's funny. I mean, I, the, all the counterpoint ever seems really clear in my head this time which I'm sure it wasn't last time. If you, if you look back on that development and how it's happened, the key things for me were supportive parents, exposure to great music early on. Sorry, just going back to, to, to that, that crisis that I had, what I realised was that music is relevant to society and that good music, classical music, can really change your life. It's good for the soul. I mean, something about it, it can really enrich your understanding and, get, and have a spiritual dimension, which I think we're all looking for in life. The problem I, I perceive with modern society is almost this death of spirituality, or that people don't have the time to actually think, what is it that life is about? We all find those highs and lows through a variety of ways. 
and I am I'm the same as everybody. I will go to a football match, and when my team wins, I feel high. When I go for a run, I come back full of endorphins. I feel high. Reading wonderful poetry enlightens and broadens the way I think about things. And it's exactly the same with classical music. And my real regret is that more people don't don't experience that. The difficulty is it needs time. It, needs a bit of, it doesn't need a huge amount of time. You don't need to go to university. You don't need to read up about things. But sometimes you just need to listen to something a few times. You have to give, you give yourself the time. There's no point listening to a really great piece of music whilst hammering away on a computer. And that's a time to think and time to develop. Believe me, it's really worth it. And anybody, anybody, I don't believe for one minute that there aren't pieces which anybody can really, really appreciate. One of the most formative experiences of my life was here in Marla too. I was probably about 12 or 13, mm-hmm. live at Edinburgh International Festival, City of Birmingham Orchestra, with Battle. Immediately I saw that music firstly could be made in bigger spans because I think up until that point I'd listened to some shorter pieces and suddenly it came mm-hmm. into with a symphony of an hour and a half. Yeah. I mean, it's such a dramatic and emotionally charged piece. But I think a lot of people don't get the best of life because they don't get the chances to experience what is beautiful in life. Mm-hmm. And that may be down to practical reasons. I mean, I can, I can, yeah. understand, I can understand those yeah. difficulties. I was wondering if there was a difference between conducting a symphony orchestra and directing an opera. Do you need different set of skills to tackle these genres? Working with the stage, as opposed to just with singers, working with people on stage is another layer of complexity. Because if you're just working with an orchestra, you're standing in the middle, everybody's looking at you, In some ways, it's quite a safe and controlled environment. I stay put on the podium in the middle, and everybody stays seated. Now, if you've ever tried this, sing a song, rhythmically, and then start dancing around, turning, sitting up and down, and you'll find that it's actually suddenly not so easy to sing that song. So once you start moving singers, and you have distance between them and the pit, where the orchestra plays, um, and you have all the acoustic problems of people being perhaps a long way away. I mean, sometimes when we in Manchester at Salford, I would have said that some of the singers have been easily 20 metres away from me. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, a, that's, that's a, a big long. distance. Yeah. That's a big distance. Yeah. That makes it more complicated. You also have to kind of breathe with the singers, and you have to help them to make their entries. If you have arranged in rehearsals that you're queuing somebody, then when it comes to bringing the orchestra in, you don't stop queuing people. So you've got the element of movement, you've got the element of the drama as well, uh, the scale of it as well, the length of it is, is, is more challenging. I mean, <laughs> I've been doing Billy Bud, I think the first half was 82 minutes and the second half was 80 minutes. Yeah. And I came off after the first half, I still feel reasonably fresh, but I was thinking... I've just done the equivalent length of music of a Marlowe symphony and then I've got a 20 minute break and I've got to go out and conduct another Yeah, the, the level of concentration would, must be like huge. huge yeah. <clears throat> so those, those are the sort of primary challenges. Of course you have to know when you work with singers you have to work in the language they're, they're singing in so some that, um, knowledge of French and German and Italian and of course English. 
And you also have to know how singers work. You've got to respect that they're really out there presenting themselves. Firstly, I mean, the, the voice is a very individual thing, of course. Yeah. And there you are presenting yourself on stage. It's a very vulnerable situation to be in, so you have to be as supportive as possible. But I would say technically, the differences, the difficulties are that you've always got to have your eyes on the stage. Um, the attention which you would normally grant just to the orchestra has to be spread wider. You have to react quicker to, you have to try and anticipate problems on stage. Uh, the number of times I've seen a problem about to happen and have either been able to deal with it or sadly yeah. it's gone wrong, but I anticipated it going wrong. It's not my fault. Yeah, I just <laughs> you have know, to carry on. <laughs> somebody, you know, you just sense this this person's not, yeah. they're not in the right they're not going to be in the right place for this. But then you have to make a thousand decisions as to, well, how do we get Yeah, and then you have in? to make them so quickly as well. Because and I mean, we're very fortunate with the orchestra yeah. that is so so good at listening to the stage. I mean, it's, it's inevitable with so many moving parts that things will go wrong. Yeah. It's, it's a much more chaotic artistic experience than conducting a concert. When I feel that it's really flowing beautifully and it's going well, It's a very curious sensation, but I almost feel like I'm on stage. I almost feel like I'm part of the drama. I don't quite... I, I can't really... It's very difficult to explain. I don't... It's not like I'm literally on stage and, and, and one of the characters, but somehow I'm, I'm amongst them. I was wondering if there is a typical week for you as, as a conductor and as uh, the musical director for Brown North. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about what this musical director role in, involves? Well, I'm still, I'm still discovering a little bit what the, the, yeah. the music director role means. In some ways, the, 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 the schedule is actually um, relatively straightforward. When I'm in operas, I'm here five days a week, mm -hmm. and I work literally half past ten to half past five. And then that's for five, six weeks, and then we go into production on stage. So there's a week with stage and piano, which means I, uh, the, just in the pit is a pianist myself. And this is the director's time. So the director dictates the pacing of rehearsals, but we go through the piece on stage with yeah. all, the situ all, all the scenery, all the costumes, all that business. And then there comes a week of stage and orchestras. Those are my rehearsals, and it's exactly the same as the stage and pianos, apart from that we have an orchestra. But I dictate the pace of rehearsals and it's still with scenery, costumes never. So basically what you're doing is incrementally moving closer and closer to the reality of the final product. Yeah. This year I've had two blocks of those. So it's about eight weeks and eight weeks and then we go on tour. During the tours we often do, I do a concert as well. So, so that's, that would be three days worth of rehearsal. Beyond those periods, my diary is a bit more free. But I mean, my other responsibilities you know, lie in sort of attending auditions and, and then of course the assessment of the, um, we do these uh, chorus appraisals every couple of years and then casting things. And the other thing I try and do is get to all the orchestra concerts and all the, the chorus concerts and to be hearing other people's productions yeah. uh, and to, to be popping into rehearsals, just checking out the things thing is, the vast majority of my time is actually spent learning this course I'm going to be doing. I was going to say, because I mean, when you start rehearsal, you need to already know I need to know course. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, a big piece like, uh, well, we say Rigoletto, I mean, that took uh, the best part of six months to learn. You know? Of course.
I know over the last few years you've been involved in several education projects at Far North, uh, particularly with the youth company and the youth orchestra. You've also been uh, artistic director of conducting at the Royal Conservatory of Scotland. Yes. Has education and teaching always been part of what you do as well? Yes, yes it has. I think if you come from a family of teachers, it's almost... <laughs> I mean, what did I say about my life? I said that, you know, that the most important things were supportive parents and the education in some ways for my music came from the opportunities that they presented. And I've had a series of um, exceptional teachers who have always been uh, trustworthy and always had the right motivation to teach. You don't forget a good teacher. You do not forget a good teacher. And um, you know, I want to share those, those opportunities. I like working with young young musicians. It's, you know, that, that enthusiasm and, uh, you know, it's a wonderful feeling. You know, I was working with the, the, the youth orchestra here and one of the things I was trying to work on was kind of sound, getting a bigger sound. And it's really remarkable that you can get something that is, you know, very small scale, rather private music making into something that's actually public. Mm -hmm. I think everybody then, you know, it kind of feeds on itself because people are like, oh, oh that's, well, that, that's made a difference. Um, and then hopefully they, they, they take it further. I mean, I wouldn't have said I, I'd ever made a conscious choice to... I just think it's part of being a, a modern musician. Yeah. Why do you feel it's important for opera companies like Opranos to provide training and performance opportunities for young musicians and engage with younger audience? So that probably links with <coughs> well, what you've just said. I think said. I've answered that to some degree. But it's also but it's very important because... Um, My experience, and I can't, I can't speak for the north of England, so, so because I, I don't know the, the music set up here, but I know that in where I'm from in Scotland, the until perhaps recently, the situation for music education in schools and whatever has deteriorated greatly. So in some ways, it's for if we want a future and we want people to 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 come to our concerts in the future, then we need to invest time and money. In, in filling the gap that schools used to provide. I mean, music has got nothing to do with class. People can come from any background and be a great musician. It's really not... In the same way, they can... For any physical activity, actually. I mean, you get great footballers from working-class backgrounds. You can also get great footballers from yeah. upper-middle-class backgrounds. But it's all about opportunity. It's about the opportunities that you're presented with. And what worries me as well is that you have the breakdown in some of the sort of social music making that used to be there. I mean, for example, colliery bands, brass band culture. I mean, you know, <clears throat> places like Fife and West Lothian in Scotland, they still have a, that tradition a little bit, but it's much more challenged because, of course, the whole infrastructure that kept people there has gone. So, I mean, I can think of a number of extremely talented Scottish brass players who are in the 60s and 70s who came from that background. That's mm -hmm. how they learned to play the cornet or trumpet or tenor horn or whatever it was, yeah. moved on to other instruments and actually have ended up being, um, you know, principal players in some of the yeah. great socks in the world. I'm reaching the last part of the interview. So I was wondering if you had one tip to give to young people or several tips to give to, give to young people who are thinking about embarking on a career as a conductor. Don't do it. <laughs> well, well, 
let's well, let's separate that. Uh, who are embarking on thinking of being uh, musicians? Well, yeah, so we we'll just yeah. take that for take that first because yeah. first and foremost, I don't mean this in any virtue signaling way, but in first first and foremost, I think you have to be a musician in order to be. Yeah. Right. What I would try and find is um, try and find a group of people. Music making is much more fun when you make it with other people. So if you can find a supportive network, such as Opera North, a youth company here, all our education work, then that's start. If you can encourage your parents to be, if they're not already supportive, to be supportive, that's another huge step. Because if they understand what it is that you want and they see you're passionate about it, then, um, then that's a big step forward. Don't ever be discouraged because there are always going to be difficult times in learning an instrument. Uh, if I'm going to be slightly scientific, I might suggest that if you were 13 or 14, or maybe a little bit older, and you're really thinking about doing music and learning an instrument, just have yourself physically check that you are suitable for the instrument you're learning. Yeah, I mean, think there are you know, some things which you should maybe be aware of, such as if you're hypermobile, which is an extraordinary flexibility of the joints. Uh, it's not to say that you can't be the world's greatest violinist with, with that, uh, it, but you should be aware that you're hypermobile and you should take extra care about some of the dangers that hypermobility can so things that if, if you, what you don't want to do is go into the profession, put all that hard work in, and then in the end find out that you have physical problems, which yeah, that's I think a, it happens. Well, a, I, I know quite a few people <laughs> have experienced that. That's a very specific point, and you don't need, you don't need yeah. to worry about it too much. But I, I think you know that's that, that would be a, maybe a little bit of advice. Um, always try and get teachers who are really going to challenge you. Above all, it's to really, if you put the music at the centre of it, and if you love the music and you want to serve the music, then your motivations are right. It's not about you. It's about you trying to get the best out of what it is that you're doing. Um, and I think if you go in with that attitude, and it is about hard work, if you're going to make it in the top, uh, well, not to the top, but you're going to make it into the profession, teaching, playing, being involved, then it's undoubtedly going to take uh, a lot of work. It's very competitive, but it isn't anything. If you want to be a great footballer or a great golfer or a great lawyer or whatever, it, you, you, you're not going to do that without hard work and endeavour. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't just come to people. You know? So it's about developing your talent and, and working, working hard. But that should be, if you're doing it the right way and you're developing, then you should notice the development, and that's positive. Don't go into the profession if you want to be rich. I think that's a good advice. Nobody has, has mentioned that before, but yeah, it's the reality of it, isn't well, it? You yeah. know, if you if you want to earn a huge amount of money, then 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 you then go into business or law or, or well, I think if you're excellent, really excellent at anything, you can actually earn quite well from it. But um, but you just have to ask yourself the question: um, How much does music matter to me? And if it matters the world, then pursue it. I mean, the other thing about music is that it can be quite antisocial hours. We work often in the evenings, often at weekends. 
initially in a career it can be quite unsettling where you're based because you have to move around quite a bit. Family life can be can be complicated. Been working all over the world. I've been away for three weeks in Australia, three weeks in New Zealand, three weeks in America, and certainly I haven't been haven't taken the kids on most of those trips. Um, so that's that's tough. If you're a home bird, then then uh, the the performing aspect of of um, of music is is uh, is going to be a ch- it's going to be a challenge for you. You've mentioned quite a few of the challenges of being a conductor, but I was wondering for you, what what is the best reward? Um, well, the best reward is when it when it just works. You know, you're just you're standing in the middle of this, and and, and um, yeah, it's giving the best, and and it's just a wonderful feeling. It feels like you're flying. You know, it's it means very. I don't have any problem really saying this. It's very very difficult for me to, thing for me to do. I'm absolutely not a natural conductor, and in the end. Really, if you just keep it simple, it's about making music together. So you're putting music at the center of it. You try and make it fun, because if if it's not fun and isn't if it's if there's no joy in music making, it's not worth it. You've been listening to the Artistic Futures podcast with Opera North Music Director Gary Walker. Next time, I'll be speaking to Anna Poole, who is currently working as Assistant Director on A Little Night Music. The show is a co-production with Leeds Playhouse and will be opening in Leeds at the beginning of July. If you have any burning questions for our future guests or would like to suggest people you would like to meet, please email education at opranorth.co.uk. You can also find us on Twitter. Search Opranorth Education. See you next time. <laughs>